Today we celebrate America's liberty, and we as Christ's free men understand the goodness and importance of liberty more than all other men. Now that may not seem to be so, given the recent miserable display by Christians with their wearing masks and distancing and all the other nonsense, all taught to them by their churchmen who, under the banner of a false love, aided and abetted the tyrants in the evil they proffered on our nation. We have all learned from all what went on over the last year that Americans are a weak people, a babied people, full-grown men cowering like schoolchildren, dutifully putting on their masks, that they will blithely obey the state and be controlled and subjugated to its whims, regardless of how ridiculous or evil its actions are. That's what we've seen about Americans. In truth, we learned that an apostate people and an atheistic people are a weak, pathetic people, and such are the vast majority of Americans in our day, apostate and atheistic. And an apostate and atheistic people will gladly give up their liberty for even pretend safety. As a Christian people, we have liberty from sin. Amen? Sin no longer rules over us. It no longer has dominion over us. We are, as the Apostle Paul said in Romans 6, set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. So, we as Christ's freedmen understand liberty more than all other men. And therefore, we should want to preserve it in all areas of life, in all four governments of men, in self-government, family government, church government, and civil government. And today on this July 4th, we remember liberty and civil government. But most Americans know nothing of true liberty. Most Americans have no idea what true liberty means to a nation or the goodness it brings to a nation. Most Americans have redefined liberty to mean license, license to sin. You have the liberty to imbibe upon whatever sin you so desire, and I have the liberty to imbibe upon whatever sin I so desire. That is the thinking of most Americans when it comes to freedom, when it comes to liberty. The well-known statesman, the well-known British statesman, Edmund Burke, from the 1700s set of liberty, said this, quote, But what is liberty without wisdom and without virtue? It is the greatest of all possible evils, for it is folly, vice, and madness without tuition or restraint. Those who know what virtuous liberty is cannot bear to see it disgraced by incapable heads on account of their having high-sounding words in their mouths. He went on to say men are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains upon their own appetites. Society cannot exist unless a controlling power upon will and appetite be placed somewhere, and the less of it there is within, the more there must be without. It is ordained in the internal constitution of things that men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. 
Notice the association Burke makes between liberty and virtue. Understand liberty isn't the freedom to do whatever I want to do, but rather it's the ability to do what I ought to do. Samuel Adams, one of America's founding fathers and from that era of Burke, stated this, he said, quote, neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure the liberty and happiness of a people whose manners are universally corrupt, unquote. People often ask me, what's the best form of government, Pastor Matt? And I say, there is no best form of government when it comes to the nature of man. Man can corrupt any form of government. He can corrupt a dictatorship or a monarchy. He can corrupt a constitutional representative republic, like America is. Because of the nature of man, any form of government can be corrupted. The morals of the people matter. And so Samuel Adams says, neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure the liberty and happiness of a people whose manners are universally corrupt. He went on to say, he therefore is the truest friend to the liberty of his country, who tries most to promote his, its virtue, and who, so far as his power and influence extend, will not suffer a man to be chosen into any office of power and trust who is not a wise and virtuous man, unquote. Again, notice the association between liberty and virtue. Men once understood the goodness of Christianity, They understood the goodness that Christianity brings to nations. William Blackstone, also from that era in the 1700s, and the most cited legal scholar by America's founders, said this, quote, The preservation of Christianity as a national religion is abstracted from its own intrinsic truth of the utmost consequence to the civil state, which a single instance will sufficiently demonstrate. The belief of a future state of rewards and punishments, the entertaining just ideas of the main attributes of the Supreme Being, and a firm persuasion that he superintends and will finally compensate every action in human life, all which are revealed in the doctrines of our Savior, Christ. These are the grand foundations of all judicial oaths, which call God to witness the truth of those facts which perhaps may be only known to him and the party attested. All moral evidences, therefore, all confidence in human veracity must be weakened by apostasy and overthrown by total infidelity. Wherefore, all affronts to Christianity or endeavors to depreciate its efficacy in those who have once professed it are highly deserving of censure. Unquote. Christianity brings goodness and produces true liberty in nations. Blackstone understood this. Even the Christ-hating 17th century philosopher David Hume had to admit, quote, he said, the precious sparks of liberty were kindled and preserved by the Puritans in England, and that to this sect, whose principles appear so frivolous and whose habits so ridiculous, the English owe the whole freedom of their constitution. Even he had to admit, Christianity breeds true liberty. It's a goodness for a nation. Charles Malik, who was the Lebanese ambassador to the United Nations, said in 1959, 
that late, 1959. I was born in 1960, and I saw a glimpse of what America was compared to what it is now. It all changed in the late 60s, early 70s. Boom. It had long been festering. The foundations had long been weakened. Wasn't like America was perfect, never has been, never will be. Why? Because human beings are involved, and anything human beings are involved in is never perfect. The Marxist and socialist likes to convince everyone to focus in on what isn't perfect and then give their status solutions to the problems. They're evil men, wicked dogs. Well, here's what Charles Malik. The Lebanese ambassador of the United Nations said in 1959, he said the good in the United States would have never come into being without the blessing and power of Jesus Christ. Whoever tries to conceive the American word without taking full account of the suffering and love and salvation of Christ is only dreaming. He went on to say, I know how embarrassing this matter is to politicians, bureaucrats, businessmen, and cynics, But whatever these honored men think, the irrefutable truth is that the soul of America is at its best and highest Christian, unquote. Men knew Christianity brought goodness, liberty, freedom to nations, limited the power of civil authority, checked the tyrants in their machinations. And I quote these men to simply say that Nations should cherish liberty. And it is Christ and Christianity that brings liberty to men and nations. True liberty comes to nations that honor his law and word in their polity and their policies. But America has lost her way. Her laws, policies, and court opinions spit in the face of Christ and impugn God's law and word in our day. So while Americans are sold licensed, disguised as liberty, and think they are free, they are really slaves to sin. And this makes them slaves to the state. Culture is religion externalized. And atheistic cultures most always turn into statist cultures. They make the state God... Atheistic cultures end up as status totalitarian hells or hedonistic sewers, or both. And America is both a totalitarian hell and a hedonistic sewer. But Christian men and Christianity produces something far different from the statist, from the Marxist, from the socialist. Again, we as Christian men understand and cherish liberty more than all other men. And why is that? Why do we as Christian men cherish and understand liberty more than all other men? It is because liberty is rooted in our religion, unlike the religion of the atheist. Our desire to not be subjugated to men, not be subjugated by the state, is rooted in our theology. In fact, it is rooted in the most prized aspect of our Christian faith, namely the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. He has ransomed us. Others shall not own us. No man, 
no state, we are free. And this is why statists hate Christ and Christianity, because a true Christianity cannot be subjugated by the state. It is, as I stated at the beginning of this sermon, preserved in all areas of life for the Christian, in all four governments of men, including the area of civil government. We are not to be subjugated by the state. Listen to the command of Scripture. Mark it in your notes, 1 Corinthians 7.23, where the Apostle Paul writes, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men, unquote. Why are we not to become the slaves of men? It says it right here in Holy Writ. Because we have been ransomed by Christ. He has bought us. It's rooted in our theology not to be owned by men. And yet you look at the whoredom of American Christianity and it sickens you to the core. To see the behavior led by silly churchmen who aid and abet the tyrants and all the evil that they want to convince the people to go along with. To have men put on skirts and act like little girls cowering in the corner, dutifully putting on their masks before they walk into Piggly Wiggly. Disturbing, disgusting, demeaning, sickening walking into their church buildings, playing the little game, washing their little hands, staying six feet apart, like Jojo the circus monkey, wearing their mask, pretending it's all real. Disturbing, despicable, sickening. As I said, liberty is rooted in our religion. We have been ransomed by Christ. We are not to be the slaves of men. And as a Christian people, we cannot be subjugated by the state. Why? Because our love, our loyalty, our fealty is to another. Christ, who bought us. And this is what brings us into conflict with the state when it makes law contrary to his law and word, when it assumes power beyond its limits, we refuse to obey. We refuse to be subjugated. In ancient Rome, conquered soldiers stripped of their uniforms were actually forced to pass under an ox yoke as a sign of submission to their Roman victors. Here in America, they wear masks. They get shots, pretendedly called vaccines. And they do it all under the false notion of love. Love can be defined as anything if taken away from Scripture. Love must be defined by the Word of God. Otherwise, it can support any evil, including two men or two women marrying. All in the name of love. Put your mask on in the name of love. Get your vaccine in the name of love. Disturbing people, subjugated, licking the boots of their conquerors, men who hate Christ, licking their boots. That is sad. That is disturbing. It is a testimony about the form of Christianity we have in this country. 
It is a complete and worthless whore. And repentance is needed. We must repent. We must call men to repentance. A truly Christian people will not do so. They will not pass under the yoke of the oxen, showing their submission to the Roman victors. A truly Christian people will stay true to their Lord. They will not be owned or controlled by the state. They understand the state has limits. It has a defined purpose given to them by God. And if they go outside it, they should be stopped. That's how Christian people respond to wickedness through civil rule. This is why in the year 1773, the men of Marlborough, Massachusetts, set forth the Declaration in Defiance of British Tyranny, which said in part, quote, death is more eligible than slavery. Mark those words. Death is more eligible than slavery. In other words, death is better than slavery. There's some things worse than dying, and being a slave is one of them. Death is more eligible than slavery. They went on to say a freeborn people are not required by the religion of Jesus Christ to submit to tyranny, but may make use of such power as God has given them to recover and support their laws and liberties. Amen. Amen. This statement is wholly unlike the men of America in our day who cower and oblige the status dogs that control all aspects of their lives, the status dogs that have invaded church government, family government, and self-government. So important was the law and word of God to the Christian men back in that day who founded our nation and whose memory we celebrate today. So important was the law and word of God to the Christian men back then of that day and who understood that God's law is the perfect law of liberty which brings true freedom to men and causes a nation to prosper that in 1777 when there was a Bible shortage in America due to the war, that Congress back then convened and conferred and then purchased 20,000 Bibles to put into the hands of Americans. These were men who understood that Christ and Christianity is good for a nation. These were Christian men who understood and cherished liberty. Well, in their darkest hour there in 1777, the men in civil government looked to God's word for the good of the nation. Now in our day, we see our government busy impugning God's law and word through every law, policy, and court opinion they've produce, we see them with their sandblasters removing every vestige of him and his word from every statue and monument they can find. And still the pulpits are silent. If you do not understand how you are accepted of God, if you do not understand true liberty, you can be manipulated and abused by churchmen and politicians. You can be tyrannized and abused by both. Three things make us strong in our liberty and our freedom. Three things make us strong 
in our liberty and our freedom. First is, you must understand how you are accepted of God, that it's always only through faith plus nothing. That is number one. If you do not understand that, you will be easily manipulated by your churchmen. And the politician loves to use your churchmen to manipulate you, as we've seen over the last year in spades. I want to point to one passage of Scripture. Turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, and I just want to read to you verses 9 through 14. This matter of understanding how you are accepted of God, making you strong in liberty and freedom, is massively important. And I would encourage you to get my sermon on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, for just a taste of the depths of the unsearchable riches of Christ regarding this standing we have in him before the Father. Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus is speaking about a parable. It says, "He also he, he being Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. When I was young and I first read this parable, I thought to myself, wow, why is Jesus getting down on good works? I mean, maybe he's into this whole thing of, Just pray the sinner's prayer and live like a devil the rest of your life, Christianity. The guy who's doing good isn't accepted of God, and the guy who is a tax collector is accepted of God. Why is Jesus down on good works? He's not. And that's why context matters. Who was he speaking this parable about? Look at verse 9. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That's what he was addressing. So he proffers this guy. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. He's trusting in his good works for right standing with God. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector's trusting in what? The mercy of God, which is found in who? Jesus Christ. Amen? So Christ concludes his parable by saying, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, talking about the tax gatherer, rather than the other, talking about 
the Pharisee, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax gatherer was accepted of God because of the fact he trusted in God's mercy. The Pharisee was not accepted of God because he was trusting in his good works for right standing with the Father. If you try to approach the Father on the basis of your good works, exalt yourself, what does Jesus say here at the end? You will be humbled. How will you be humbled? God will not meet with you. If you humble yourself, trusting in the mercy of God, which is found in his son, Jesus Christ, you will meet with God. You will, as Jesus says here, be exalted. You'll meet with the Father. Amen? This matter is of huge importance. And if you don't get that, if you don't get how you're accepted of God, that it's always only through faith in Jesus, plus nothing, whether a Christian for five seconds or 55 years, you will never be free of the manipulation and machinations of the churchmen and the politicians. Never. That's how important it is. And I can preach 15 sermons in a row for the next 15 weeks talking about how important that is from the Word of God with fresh Scripture material every week for 15 weeks. Because the Bible's full of it. We must search the unsearchable riches of Christ, the depths, and again, my sermon on Hebrews 10.26 is a good starting point. Number two, what makes us strong in our cherishing and preservation of liberty is you must be submitted to objective truth. You must be submitted to objective truth. I once heard the story of a woman who felt compelled by the Spirit to throw her Bible at the head of her pastor. This is a true story. Some of you may want to throw your Bible at the head of your pastor or the head of a pastor where you once went. Maybe. Because the Spirit governed her life and she felt the Spirit wanted her to throw her Bible at her pastor's head, she did. That's what you do when you're not submitted to objective truth. And you're quote-unquote led by the Spirit. I can tell you many nonsensical things. I can tell you many sinful things people have done with their lives because we're led by the Spirit. American Christianity has thrown the law of God under the bus. They repudiate it as a mere list of rules. And they say, we just need the Spirit. We're Christian people. Oh, okay. The truth is, His law is objective truth, and the Spirit will never contradict it. And when the Spirit is telling you to do something contrary to His law, those rules... You should obey what objective truth declares. His word is objective truth. So one is you must understand how you're accepted of God. Two, you must be submitted to objective truth. And number three is you must understand proper hermeneutics. You must be able to properly interpret Scripture yourself. 
If you cannot properly interpret scripture, you are at the mercy of the interpreter. And let me tell you, given the state of of pulpits in America, you do not want to be at the mercy of the interpreter. You want to be able, how is it that Christian people sit under these pulpits around America? I'll tell you how, because they don't know what the word of God says themselves. They can't interpret it properly themselves. And so they're at the mercy of these dogs. Once you understand proper hermeneutics, you're no longer at the mercy of the churchman, no longer manipulated by the politician who uses the churchman to accomplish his ends. These three things are massively important for you to stand in liberty, to understand it properly, and to defy tyrants, whether they be ecclesiastical or within the civil realm. Again, we as Christian men understand and cherish liberty more than all other men. And why is that? It is because liberty is rooted in our religion, unlike the religion of the atheist. Our desire to not be subjugated by men, not be subjugated by the state, is rooted in our theology. In fact, it is rooted in the most prized aspect of our Christian faith, namely the finished work of Christ at Calvary. He has ransomed us. Others shall not own us. No man, no state. We are free. Amen. Let's stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, we give thanks and we give praise to you for this time that we had here on this day where we remember the founding of our nation, a nation that is in utter rebellion against you, long lost its way, far off the beaten path in wickedness and evil, abounding. Lord, in the midst of it all, may we be true to you. May we live our lives in faithful obedience to you. May we call men to repentance and to faith in your Son in the midst of it all. Lord, may we engage the magistrates. May we rebuke the sin that they make through law or policy or court opinion. May we instruct them regarding their office in the sight of you, the limits, the function, the role, the proper biblical role of their office, O God. Lord, I just ask and pray that we would be faithful to you in the days ahead. Lord, we see no great repentance in this country over the last year. And we know your judgment will abound in the days ahead, and rightly so. And that, too, is a goodness. Your judgment is a goodness. It is a mercy when men live in filthy rebellion against you. When they destroy themselves and destroy the nation, destroy the young, prey on the old, Lord, your judgment is needed, O God. Lord, we just give thanks and praise to you that you have redeemed us, 
that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you transformed us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Your dear son, Jesus Christ, we are your ambassadors. May we make your law, word, and gospel known to men and to the governments of men, and may your Holy Spirit do a mighty work through each one as they do it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.